Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. We've been talking a lot about Major League Baseball to Portland, and, um, you know, I love it when journalists advance the ball. Demi Lawrence of the Portland Business Journal had a great piece this morning on that really advanced the ball. She got a sit-down with the mayor of Beaverton, Lacey Beatty, is the mayor there, and uh, joining us now, Demi Lawrence, the Oregon Sports Writer of the Year. Hey, congrats on that, by the way. Thanks, John. I appreciate it, and thanks for having me on. Give me an idea. Um, you go into the meeting with the mayor... Clearly, the, the Portland Diamond Projects, you know, they would like to buy 164 acres in the city of Beaverton, Washington County. Everybody's kind of wondering where the mayor's head is on this. And so, you know, what do you gather in sitting down with Mayor Beatty of, of Beaverton? Right, yeah. You know, I think that she's real enthusiastic, as, uh, you know, the city of Beaverton should be. I think it's an incredible opportunity uh, for them at a local level. Um, but. You know, as we all know, this plot of land and getting this doesn't mean the team is necessarily coming. Uh, so in our conversation, you know, she was quite measured. Uh, she was pretty pragmatic and, and realistic about, uh, you know, the opportunity and, and uh, relative likelihood um, of possibly, you know, getting an MLB team on that plot of land. So it was a great conversation, um, but I think she's playing a real realistic game right now. Yeah, and I think, I mean, part of it is they've got to obtain the land. And, and as far as I know, they're, you know, they have had an appraisal. I think the Diamond Project's appraisal may have come in somewhere in the 50 to $55 million range. The city of Portland's appraisal came in in that same range. But getting the land is the first step. And I, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the mayor of Beaverton. You'd obviously want to come out and support this thing, but you also don't want to attach yourself to it until it becomes real. Am I reading that right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's pretty fair. And I mean, for what it's worth, uh, you and I both know that this wasn't the only plot of land that has been talked about for this project, right? And I think the plot of land is owned right now by Portland, but it's in Beaverton's so with kind of this weird, you know, who owns it, who's going to sell it, all that kind of good stuff. And so, you know, the uh, mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, has been very openly supportive of wanting an MLB team in the region, but has made it clear that he would prefer if it was in Portland Metro. So we've kind of lot of, got a lot of competing interests here, but I think everyone who is involved with the process knows that the most realistic option is to have it at that red tail property that, you're right, has been appraised around the 50-55 mil. What, do you, what did Mayor Beatty have to say, you know, as it pertained to, kind of, you know, people immediately that I talked with and had, you know, callers on the show talked about traffic, they talked about infrastructure. Did you get in the weeds with her on that stuff? I did, yes, because as we know, uh, that plot of land is pretty close to Washington Square Mall. It's close to a lot of things that have a lot of traffic already. So I asked her what infrastructure concerns there were going to be, and the first thing she mentioned was expanding the West End Rail Line. I don't remember what it's, I think it's West Express uh, something with an S after that, but it would need expansion. Um, and she talked about that and she's been wanting to do that. She said since she became a, the mayor in 2020. So I think this is a really great opportunity for her to, uh, you know, complete some political things that she's been wanting to do. But also she talked about the need, not just desire, but the need for this proposed stadium to be put into the landscape in a beneficial way that's going to be helpful, not just for when there's baseball games, right? Like be able to have it to be a community hub so that people can get in and out easy, have there be commercial and retail space possibly around it, and really make it not just this thing that you go to, you park, you go, and you go home, but really make it a community hub. 
Yeah, it, I, as I ask questions about it for people who are involved or or even the um, even the commercial real estate folks that are out there and they talk about the possibility for parks, uh, water, walking paths, bike paths, and 164 acres is huge. If I'm the mayor in Beaverton, I, I want this to be an asset to the community, not just, hey, we're bringing some tax revenue in. Do you get a sense of how Washington County, Beaverton, Tigard all fit together on this, Demi? Right. So I think they're all, you know, very excited for the opportunity for all of the reasons that you said, right? Like Portland, still in the national news, kind of has this doom and gloom kind of aura around it. But all of us who are here know that there is a lot of opportunity. And so I think they're all looking at this as a prime opportunity to not only get Portland Metro back on the map, but their individual cities as well, right? You know, obviously, Beaverton has its own interests. Tiger has its own interests. Washington County has its own interests. But I think this could be a real opportunity for all of them to come together and really make something great for the future of the entire region. We're talking to Demi Lawrence of the Portland Business Journal. Met with Mayor Beatty, Lacey Beatty in Beaverton. Um, you know, what other things come up when you have a conversation with the mayor and you're talking about this. Obviously, I'm most interested in, like, you know, on a one to ten scale, where's her enthusiasm? Is it five or better? You know, is, you know, or is, is she seems supportive of this? And I and I kind of wonder beyond that, you know, if she just needs to wait and see what the Diamond Project does. I mean, they're going to have to get control of the land for this to move any further. Right. Yeah, I think there's definitely a wait and see uh, mentality with Mayor Beatty, which is very rightful, right? Like you don't want to attach yourself to this when it's not necessarily a done deal yet. We still got to get the team. We still got to get the land. We still got to build the stadium. We're in, in such the infancy of this project that I think it's incredibly valid for her to be as measured as she is. But she's still enthusiastic from what I got. You know, I'd say it's maybe, you know, it is five or better, but I think she is a bit pragmatic and measured in that sense because, you know, you don't want to get so attached to it and then boom, it's gone. You've already put all this time and money into it. But I, I you know, I bring up money. I asked her about funding uh, and she wasn't able to talk uh, to that, but I got a quote from, uh, the Portland Diamond Project uh, director, Craig Cheek, and he mentioned it was going to be a lot of mostly private investment, private equity, and things like that. So that's even still a very broad stroke, and I'm sure we'll get more details on that as this continues. But like I said, the land, Portland's still got to decide if they want to sell the land, city of Portland uh, being that. Yeah, Demi Lawrence with us. Any idea on the timeline of that? And my understanding is, you know, there are five votes, the four city commissioners and the mayor, they need four to uh, obtain the land. And so, you know, they don't necessarily need the mayor, but it certainly would help, I think, Mayor Ted Wheeler, if he uh, got on board. He shouldn't be, they shouldn't be like a four-to-one vote just because he would be mad about it not going to the Lloyd Center. (laughs) But do you have a sense on how that is tracking? Um, I actually don't, and that's a great uh, topic to go on for another story. But like I said earlier, I think uh, I think Mayor Wheeler really wants it in Portland Metro. But the reality of the situation is that Lloyd Center lot is caught up in a bunch of contracts. The space isn't large enough for what they want to do is what a lot of people are saying. And a lot of folks are, uh, as a result of that, turning their heads to red tail now. And so I'm not really sure where he stands on that. I think it'd be a darn shame uh, to, you know, 
let something fall apart just because you want it in the Portland, you know, heart of Portland. Portland Metro is a vast, vast area. And the plot of land, the Red Tail Golf Course, is not far from downtown Portland. So I think downtown Portland would still benefit in hotel stays and restaurants and retail from the stadium being, uh, you know, just a few miles out of the city in Beaverton. Now, Demi, I noticed uh, your phone number is a 317 area code. That's that's Indiana. I worked in the, yes, I worked sir. in Indiana. Get, what's with the three one seven? Yeah, so I was born and raised in a suburb of Indian, Indianapolis called Fishers. Uh, I went to Hamilton Southeastern High School there, and then I went to Ball State University, Chirp Chirp, in northeastern <laughs> Indiana in Muncie. Uh, I still have, I'm an only child, but my family still lives in Indiana. Shout out Dad. He's probably listening to this. He's a huge fan, like I told you. And, yeah, so I've kept the phone number, and I'll keep it for as long as I can because getting a new phone number is a pain in the butt. Yeah, so your dad's a listener to the show. I love that. So this yeah. uh this will be a thrill. I think this is your second appearance. We'll have to have you back on more regularly. Um, my time in Indiana. So I was covering IU basketball. Bobby Knight was the coach, and I covered Purdue as well. And I drove all over, and I can remember a whole bunch of different things, like uh, Dan Quayle Museum. Is that right? I think so, yeah. I spent a little <laughs> bit of time at Purdue. Uh, love Mackey Arena. Honestly, probably one of my favorite arenas in the entire state, but there's so many to choose from, as you know. I love Hinkle as well. There's never a bad game at Hinkle. It's Indiana's such a great place for sports. I feel so great. To, I feel so grateful to be from there and in, in the sports industry now. Yeah, and you drive, like, I remember driving through all these uh, small towns and, uh, you know, between the cities, and you literally see, like, the scene from Hoosiers where there's a barn and then a tractor and then somebody's put a basket you know out in the middle yeah. of nowhere it's 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 yeah. crazy yeah it's really cool you know being being a sports reporter now it's super special being from such a historic state not just for sports in general but basketball you know i'm 5 foot 4 i never played basketball in my life but <laughs> i still have such a love an appreciation for it because it runs in my blood as a Hoosier, you know, it's, it's just so special. So it's so funny that we both have a connection to Indiana. I love whenever I go back to super special time. All right. Demi Lawrence, she is the Oregon sports writer of the year. Her and Sean Hyken uh, being co-sports writers of the year. Congrats on that. Celebrate it. And we'll get you back on when you have more on the baseball front. Awesome. Thank you, John. I appreciate the time and the honor. So Domino's beginning to fall. Um, I think there was probably some hope in downtown Portland at City Hall from Mayor Ted Wheeler and certainly his chief of staff, uh, Bobby Lee, who has emerged, I think, as a very interesting figure behind the scenes in this whole baseball effort. I think there was probably some hope that there wouldn't be enthusiasm for baseball with the city of Beaverton. Um, And uh, you're hearing there from Demi Lawrence, who has interviewed the mayor of Beaverton, Lacey Beatty, and uh, saying that there's some enthusiasm there. It's, of course, measured. It should be until the Diamond Project gets control of that 164 acres. Um, I think the mayor of Beaverton's got to play much the same role that the mayor in Las Vegas played in saying, yeah, look, we have open arms. We're welcome to this. And then see how it unfolds. And, and you know, here's the thing. Like, there are a line of people out there that the Diamond Project has identified as um, partners in this stadium project. No doubt. You don't just dream up a stadium over overnight. But a lot of that clout and the big-time investors that are behind this thing, they're not going to emerge until they know that there's a parcel of land under control, under ownership. And then it gets real. 
And then the other thing is, look, and this is why, you know, anything you do in this space is a long shot, but you got to take your shot. Uh, After that, it becomes about Major League Baseball being interested in Portland. Are they interested in Portland? Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, I have questions for him. I need to get him on the show. Ask him, you know, what gets his attention? Is Portland still on the short list? And by Portland, I mean now the city of Beaverton in Washington County. And beyond that, um, you know, does 164 acres, which would be the largest stadium development in the history of Major League Baseball, does that move the needle for Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball? Salt Lake City, one of the competitors here, they are more evolved, more sophisticated. They've got, you know, the Miller family out front banging the drum, you know, and there's a lot of support and momentum there. Diamond Project trying to play from behind here, but uh, strong move, negotiations ongoing for that parcel of land. Some parting thoughts about the Super Bowl coming up. You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. I got a lot of feedback about the column that I wrote today at johnconzano.com, and if you're not already subscribed, grab a free subscription, grab a paid subscription, whatever works for you works for me, but I uh, post most days, and uh, that's where I'm writing exclusively now, and if you want to read what I have to say today about youth sports, and particularly a message for youth sports parents, um, then you can find that at johnconzano.com. But I got an email this week, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, from a concerned citizen who believes that there is something going on out there with you, parents, you, uh, as it pertains to youth sports. The latest episode, sixth grade girls basketball team in the suburbs of Portland, coached by a woman who was not pleased with the team's defensive effort on Saturday. Coach told the players it was a lazy effort. Also, she said she didn't like the poor body language of the players sitting on the bench during the game. Uh, Parents, of course, did not appreciate their children's output being described as lazy, even though it probably was lazy, even though parents probably turned to their kids who were sitting on the sofa and uh, have not done their chores, cleaned their room, done their homework, and said, you know, don't be lazy. Um, what's, uh, what's good for, uh, the coach is not necessarily good for the parents situation, but parents were not happy. They complained to the league and the coaching staff on Monday was asked to step down. I wrote a lot about it and it's something that's been on my mind. Um, you know, of course there are some positive benefits to kids who are playing sports. They get better grades. They have fewer behavioral problems, less likely to be involved in a teen pregnancy, healthier kids in general, huge positives. But I always talk about the two unsung heroes that are in the equation as maybe the most valuable things that kids can get from sports. They are confidence and perseverance. They stay with you for life. And they are not derived, no matter how much you want them to be parents, by parents hovering around nearby, shouting at the referees, manipulating the coach, working really hard to keep your child from having anything resembling a poor outcome. No, no, no. Resilience, parents, and confidence, they're built from hardship. You know, life is hard. Bad things happen. People get sick. They get fired from their job. You have a bad relationship or a bad boss. You catch a tough break. Life is not always fair, right? And uh, you don't want the first time that your young person faces an obstacle to be like age 25, 28, 35. You don't want that because those types of situations at that age, they're, they're, they have serious repercussions, right? What, the first time 
your child faces an obstacle, it should be at 7, 8, 9, 11. And your role as a parent, if you really want to prepare your child for life, is to support your kid, talk with your kid, encourage your kid, let them gain the uh, resilience that comes through from working through a tough situation. Don't fix it for them. Don't do anything for them that they can do for themselves, more or less. But support them. Let them know you love them. Let them know you're there. And, you know, that's where confidence is built. Confidence is not built from the victory. Confidence is built from overcoming the defeat and then going on to break through and have a victory. That's where confidence is born from. And too many parents confuse the confidence derived in youth sports with the trophy. That's not it. I can tell you, I have a box of trophies in my garage. I haven't looked at them in decades. I don't even know where they are. But I can tell you the confidence that I derive from playing youth sports, I know exactly where it is. I'm pointing at my chest right now. I know where the resilience is. You know, I saw um, I saw somebody yesterday talking uh, about, you know, uh, whether or not, you know, a rain dance is actually uh, capable of bringing rain. And the person said, well, if you dance long enough, it will rain. I thought that was really a profound statement, right? Let your kid dance through, and when the rain comes, let them see, hey, you know, that you, you stayed with it. Um, CYO sports, I love. I know it's not considered like club sports on the same level, but Sister Krista, who runs the CYO organization here in Oregon, does a remarkable job. Coaches are volunteers. The officials are teenagers. Spectators are reminded, stay positive. You're here for the enjoyment of the children, not your own enjoyment. And uh, I have always said that CYO and rec sports, safe place for kids to fail. Think about how important that is, having a safe place to fail. Now, we had J.J. Burden on the show a couple days ago, and, you know, I did that interview with him. I've been thinking about J.J. since the interview. You know, he's a great story, right? He was like 133 pounds in high school and, you know, at Lake Ridge High School. He had no scholarship offers. He goes to Oregon. He doesn't play at Oregon in his first few seasons. And then he only played a little bit as a junior and senior. Like his his whole college career, four seasons, he scored one touchdown. And, you know, it wasn't like this remarkable scholarship career. But J.J. Burden plays nine years in the NFL. And it's been bugging me, you know, that I didn't ask him, you know, what was it that made you stay with it? What is it that made you, like, it's a great underdog story, right? But he could have quit. He could have gone to sell insurance. He could have complained about not getting a fair shake. He could have decided that the universe was telling him that football's not his thing. We all look for reasons to quit. But he refused. And so I reached back out to JJ this morning. And I said, you know, tell me about what happened that made you so resilient. Because... You weren't resilient and opportunistic at age 27 when you kept showing up and you got cut by a couple NFL teams, got cut by a third NFL team. He kept coming back like he's 27 years old. I said, I, I said to JJ, I said, you had to have picked that up earlier in childhood. And I'll let you hear it in JJ Burden's words. So here's what you don't know. So I was raised by a single parent mom. She dropped out of high school when she was a junior. And she worked really hard to take care of my older brother and my younger sister. And I remember 
she just had this attitude, I got to do what I can to take care of my children. And she once, she had a job as a welder. She worked at FMC. And she was the only woman there working amongst all these men. And, and I'd watch her come home in the big boots and the big jacket and just struggle. But she'd come home, hey, you do what it takes to take care of your children. So I, I, that part of hard work, you do what it takes, that was instilled there. J.J. Burden did not play sports in middle school. He was busy riding the bus to school and back. He didn't play in high school as a freshman or sophomore. Found track before his junior year. He's a great story. Too small, not good enough. But what J.J. saw was his mother demonstrate this work ethic that, you know, he later emulated. And it's really worth noting, you know, as we're all pushing our kids in sports to have success and break through and get a scholarship and be the best, that the bigger takeaway is probably that our kids are watching us like J.J. watched his mother and learning from us. It was a gift that his mother gave him. It's like Warren Buffett said. People ask Warren Buffett, you know, for parenting advice, and he said, more kids are ruined by the behavior of their parents than the size of their inheritance. The behavior matters. And parents, you've lost your minds. Just ask anyone who's coached a youth sports team. I talked to two prominent coaches today, and I asked them about parents. And one of them told me parents are way too involved, and they got way more involved after the p- pandemic. Level of anxiety already sky high on the kids, the pressure on the kids. And parents have now added to it. The other coach said, hey, there have always been helicopter parents, but the difference is you've got parents coming at coaches stronger, younger coaches not able to push back like they did years ago. He said it's almost like the parents identify a young coach. There's blood in the water, right? And then they they go on attack. I also think, and we've touched on this on the show today, I also think parents feel more vested in what's happening because the cost of the youth sports experience, particularly club sports, is sky high. So they're vested in it. They're invested in it. You know, and, and you know, I've heard parents, people I'm related to, that they feel increasing pressure to keep up with the other families. They're paying for private lessons. They're specializing. They've got the best baseball bat or the best equipment. We've got to get that too. And I'm here to tell you that the American Academy of Pediatrics published a report that says that 70% of kids will drop out of organized sports activities by the age of 13. And there are three culprits that you need to look out for. They are overuse, overtraining, and burnout. So you heard Dana Altman's interview on the show today. If you didn't, go back and listen to it. He talked about his youth experience as a walk-on at community college and a high school player that wasn't very good. So I've, I've always really enjoyed the game. I had a great high school coach, John, and that goes back. You know, the, the guys that really took a great job were the junior college or the junior high coaches and the high school coaches. You know, that's, that's where the love of the game you know, if you're going to love the game, and I had a great high school coach, Dave Ullman, and I wasn't any good, but he worked with me all the time. And, uh, and then I walked on into junior college. I was a really bad player, but I just loved the game and wanted to play. And, John, do you know how bad you have to be to walk on into junior college? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's one thing to walk on at the University of Oregon or, you know, a great school, but I walked on into junior college and, um, you know, just because I love the game and I wanted to play. 
He talked about playing all night in the summer, and in the winter the ball so the basketball would freeze, and they they kept a basketball in the radiator so they could keep playing. There were no parents involved. They just loved the game. So here is my plea to youth sports parents: the coaches are fed up with you. The opposing players on the other team they do not deserve your ire nor does the official who's out there maybe making $15 an hour maybe volunteering without the officials you're not going to have a game okay so parents calm the bleep down ask yourself are you part of the problem you know if you are yelling at the official if you are uh, yelling at the coach or trying to undermine the coach with a secret meeting, you are part of the problem. Now, you know, I pointed out in print today, like I realized that I'm arguing for sanity in the same week that a college football player bought a Lamborghini for $273,000. But I'm left thinking today about, you know, there are bad calls in life, folks. It's okay in your youth sports game if you get a bad call. In fact, it might benefit your kid to show your kid, hey, you got a bad call. What are you going to do about it now? Go out there and win in spite of it. Break through. Overcome it. That's how you build resilience. That's how you build perseverance. That's how you build confidence. So, you know, parents, just calm down. That's my PSA for today. All right, we're back with another great show tomorrow. We'll focus on the Super Bowl. I like the Niners in the Super Bowl. You know that. But I am biased as heck. There is a 49er flag hanging on my porch as I speak. So you tell me. Tweet at me, at John Canzano BFT. I posted a poll about the Super Bowl. Weigh in on it. Find me there. Make sure you're following me on Instagram as well, at John Canzano. And I'm on TikTok if that's your thing. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time. Just a good time. Have a great night, everybody. We're back tomorrow. Another great Friday show. And if you have a kid who's playing youth sports, remember, this is not about you and your enjoyment. This is not about your ability to second-guess a coach or yell at an official. That experience is supposed to be an investment in your kid, and it's okay if they fail. Make it a safe place to fail. See what they do about it. See if they build some some resilience, some perseverance, because less than 1% of college Division I draft-eligible players are going to be drafted. You know, you don't need to be a math major to understand that, you know, if you go to high school or youth sports or club sports, it's, it's like a lightning strike to become a pro athlete, okay? The bigger thing here is that your kids potentially develop some personal skills, learn how to cope with a uh, bad outcome, learn how uh, their hard work correlates uh, and their skill correlates with success, and they learn how to deal with uh, difficult people, bad boss, tough coworker. They're going to deal with these things in life. Why not let them... Deal a little bit with it as a youth athlete. We're back tomorrow. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.